0: Today on Ag News Daily, and, and more importantly, what should I sell it for? I don't want to leave money on the table, but I also don't want to sell it for too big of a steal. So, really, providing some market transparency
1: to the grower so they they can make some really good business decisions themselves. Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. Mike Pearson here, co-host of the Ag News Daily podcast, joined by Delaney Howell. Delaney, how you doing?
2: I'm good. Do you know what today is? Besides, of course, Tech Tuesday.
1: Oh, shoot. Tech Tuesday was going to be my guess. Uh, Other Um, than Tech Tuesday, it is early August sometime.
2: (laughs) Yes. um, It's also... Sorry, people are going to think that I probably eat all the time, which, I mean, I kind of do, but it also is National Chocolate Chip Cookie Day.
1: Oh, that's exciting.
2: Yeah. I'm a big chocolate chip cookie fan, so I'm going to have to get one today at some point.
1: Absolutely. The Chocolate Chip Cookie is a great symbolization of agriculture. We've got grains from the U.S. We've got cocoa from the tropics. We've got you know dairy products, you know the butter. It's it's a melting pot, really.
2: Mm-hmm. That's a good way to put it.
1: Yeah, well, that's exciting. So Delaney is chowing down on chocolate chip cookies <laughs> at some point today. Ashton Carr, what are you up to?
3: I'm not up to a whole lot. I'm a little bit upset because yesterday. It was like 85 degrees outside. It felt so awesome. And now it's heating back up. So I'm just going to keep inside for this afternoon, I think.
1: Well, that'll teach you to live in Texas. I know. Talk to God's country in the northern Corn Belt.
3: Mm, I I don't know. I, I think I like Texas too much to leave the heat
1: all right well don't say you were never invited i tell you what you know it's interesting you talk about the heat and the moderating weather and uh, in central iowa delaney i'm sure you can back me up here it is gorgeous Mm -hmm. it has been yesterday and it has it is again today and this this is great news for a lot of folks who want to get out and enjoy summer it is also great news for a majority of the corn and soybean crops growing out there in the countryside which of course means it's somewhat bad news for the markets. And we'll get to that in just a little bit, but it was uh, not a great day for producers. But in large part, that's because we are seeing a lot of selling in the markets today as crop conditions continue to hold well above the five-year average. Uh, Corn conditions across the country were rated at 72% unchanged from a week ago. Now, there has been some growing concern in the trade and in a lot uh, with the analysts I talk with about the dryness in west central iowa that is starting to weigh on folks concerns but broadly speaking much of the rest of the corn belt is in excellent shape similar story on soybeans we've got the soybean crop increased in good to excellent categories by one percent 73 73 good to excellent so those two things and the fact that the forecast looks good out into at least the immediate future is weighing on corn and soybean and then the wheat prices as well today
2: yeah, another thing that I think is weighing pretty heavily, which we talked about with Carl Setzer yesterday, is also just the expected yield for the corn and soybean crops both. We saw today FC or excuse me, formerly FC Stone, now known as Stone X, released their latest farmer survey and or excuse me, released their latest farmer survey for both corn and soybeans. And what they found was a corn yield of about 182.4 and a soybean yield of about 54.2. That's their new expectation now for this year's corn and soybean crop, largely based on the fact that we've had such nice complimentary weather for the most part now getting through that hot spell there in July, but uh, they're expecting to see some pretty high yields. So to take that a little further, analysts are expecting that or could see that push Some sub $3 corn and low $8 soybeans during harvest. And of course, it's still too early to tell, but I'm hearing a lot of analysts talking about what this could do for the markets if we do see especially that high of a yield for corn.
1: Yeah, that would be quite the number if that's what the combines end up printing off the yield monitors. And I tell you what, that news is coupled with other news that at least on the corn side is not great for demand. Um, we've talked a lot on this podcast and a lot in the industry of agriculture about how the Trump administration's EPA has been granting waiver after waiver to refineries to get out of their obligations under the renewable fuel standard. Well, there was some hope that perhaps the uh, EPA the EPA was going to maybe throttle back, not grant all of these waiver requests that have come in. Currently, there are 58 uh, refinery exemption waivers waiting to be passed by the EPA. Well, the Department of Energy has weighed in, and they recommended that, quote, a number of These waivers be at least partially granted. So it would appear as though the folks inside the administration are sort of making their case to be allowed to grant these waivers um, and kind of shut down dissent early on in the process so now the epa can say well the department of energy says we need to grant these waivers so we're going to go ahead and grant a bunch of these uh not great news for corn demand we've been waiting for these bushels to be re-added or excuse me these gallons to be re-added into the obligations for uh renewable fuel blending i don't think they're coming despite the court battle that's been going on for the last two years
2: yeah yeah that's uh I don't know. I think this is going to be used as a big selling point or deterior uh, for this year's election for both the presidency as well as uh, senators and and um, what's the other thing, Representative Sorry, I was blank, but I've heard a lot of poll clads already talking about this particular issue.
1: Yeah, and you know it's interesting to me, kind of watching from the outside, you know, seeing the way the different ads are constructed and seeing what I think to be happening here, which is that the government can give oil companies... Bailouts, and they—they they have, they have done. We have seen many of the oil majors receive direct bailouts, both as a result of COVID, and of course more surreptitiously through this RVF process. We're not seeing the administration do really anything for the ethanol industry, uh, either the administration or Congress. You know, we got nothing through in this uh, latest round of stimulus funding, unless Secretary Purdue agrees to to throw a couple bones over towards biofuel producers. And I think this represents kind of a conscious decision with the thinking being that farmers are probably going to vote Republican regardless in November. The oil towns could be swayed one way or the other. We got to keep them pumping. So we're going to, I don't know, tip the scales in their favor. I don't know. It's all just very bizarre, but it's not great news for ethanol producers.
2: No, it certainly is not. But Ashton, what news are you watching today? Well, I have my own little
3: bit of EPA news. The EPA is proposing to register a new contact herbicide to help manage weed resistance. Teofanasil, I believe is how you pronounce it, is proposed for pre-plant and pre-emergence burn down use in corn, cotton, soybeans, and wheat, and then post-emergence burn down in grapes as well as fallow and non-crop areas. EPA expects the herbicide to be useful for herbicide resistance management as it provides an alternative for controlling glyphosate-resistant palmer amaranth, mare's tail, and water hemp. The EPA has not yet identified any dietary, residential, aggregate, or occupational risk of concern for human health, and public comment on the proposed decision is open until August 30th.
2: Well, that is certainly exciting to see a new potential tool, although I don't expect that will get passed anytime soon. or We see that be a new tool available. I'm sure it's got to go through a lot of regulations and testing. I don't know. Does Congress have to approve a new herbicide or is that just an EPA thing?
1: I believe it's just EPA and, you know, the other nerds. Yeah, it doesn't have to go through Congress.
2: I'm glad you know that because I definitely did not.
1: Well, you know, we're we're always game to learn. Listeners, if any of you work at one of the nerderies in D.C. getting these <laughs> things uh, through, we'd love to chat with you about how the process works. Hit us up on social media. Find us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Ag news Daily. I
2: don't think you should oh, call people nerds, Michael.
1: I mean it as, as respectfully nerds.
2: Mm. You know. Okay. Okay.
1: Um, I tell you what, I'm, I'm out of news. Delaney, do you have any other stories you're keeping an eye on today?
2: i do i ha i thought this was interesting um looking at all of the p p e equipment right we've produced so much of it face shields masks gloves, all of this stuff that we've been gearing up and making mass producing is a lot of it is plastic based right so the thought has been posed what do we do with all of this gear and equipment once covid and Hopefully COVID is over and we start to go back to somewhat normal living. So a review and study has been done showing that this PPE equipment can actually be used to be broken down and made into biofuels using a high temperature chemical process called, I'm not going to pronounce this correctly, I'm already going to guess that, but a prylosis or prylosis, I think is maybe how you say it. But essentially, they take these PPE equipment, burn them at really high temperatures, and are able, through all their science and technology, to convert them into a biofuel power. Uh, Apparently, several companies in the UK are already doing this and using it to make different things such as E10 blends, petrol, etc. I thought that was pretty interesting, though, to think about it. You know, that there is going to be a lot of plastic-based PPE stuff that could otherwise just go to the landfill. So I don't know if anything major will actually come of this. I don't know if any sort of industry standard is going to be set to use this for biofuels, but it absolutely can be done.
1: So now I'm really intrigued. Because you mentioned that a lot of this PPE is plastic. And, of course, plastic is petroleum-based. How can you melt something that's petroleum-based down, refine it into, effectively, a crude oil, and then call it a biofuel?
2: I don't know. This, that, I, like I said, the science side of it is not my forte. But
1: well, I mean, if it's uh, from oil, it's a fossil fuel. Even if it went from an oil to a plastic back to an oil, right? It's still coming I don't from dead know.
2: Um I'm not I'm not the right person to ask on that one. Yeah,
1: no, that's very bizarre. All right, well keep an eye on it, Delaney. I will. Well, let's see, and do you have any other news stories before we talk markets and get into our Tech Tuesday discussion?
3: I don't. Let's go ahead and get into it.
1: All right. Well, let's rip this band-aid off for our corn, soybean, and wheat producing friends. In the corn market, September down eight and three quarters at 308 and three quarters. December down eight cents on the day at three twenty and a half. and In soybeans, the August, well, let's jump to September. September contract down 13 and a quarter at 879 and three quarters. November down 14 and a half to finish at 881 and three quarters. Over in the wheat market, September, Chicago down 12 and three quarter cents at 508 and a quarter. December down twelve and three quarters as well to close at five sixteen and a quarter. Looking over at livestock, cattle complex also seeing some weakness today. The August contract down 75 cents at 102.2750. October down 80 cents, closed at 107.4750. Feeder cattle, September down 45 cents, finishing at 146.62 and a half. October down 15 cents to close at 147.0750. And in lean hogs, the October contract putting some green on the screen, up 62.5 cents. At $49.02.50. December up 50 cents to close at $50.57 and a half cents. Quick look at the dairy market class three milk August contract down whew, a whopping $1.03 closed at $19.27. September down at $1.50 to finish at $16.67. Without further ado, let's kick it over to today's Hashtag Tech Tuesday.
3: Today on the podcast, we have Kyle McMahon, who is the founder of TractorZoom. Now, we've had TractorZoom on the podcast before, but Kyle, why don't you just give our listeners a little bit of a refresher about what TractorZoom is?
0: Yeah, thanks for having me, Aston. I really appreciate it. Uh, A a high-level overview of what TractorZoom is, is a search engine for farm equipment auctions. We have 420 auction companies who advertise their upcoming equipment sales on TractorZoom.com and our mobile apps uh, available on, on Android or iPhone. Uh, that way, farmers know what is going on in the machinery world, uh, and, and we can really help
1: them find the machines that they're looking for. So, Kyle, you... Well, let me start with this. It's been a while. How long has TractorZoom been around? Yeah,
0: it has, Mike. I think the last time we spoke was uh, maybe a year and a half ago, around the time of the uh, farm equipment show here in Iowa. So Tractor Zoom has been uh, in existence for about two and a half years. Uh, the first, you know, year we were really trying to get our footings and really connect with the auction companies in the world to start signing them on. Uh, here in the last nine months has been um, a lot of fun for us. We've we've doubled the size of, of auction companies using Tractor Jim to, to advertise those sales. And naturally, that's more inventory that we're able to bring back to the farmer.
1: Well, let's talk a little bit about the state of the equipment industry. I mean, you spend all day just enmeshed in what is happening at the Ground level for growers in your contacts throughout the auctioneering world, Kyle. What are you hearing? How are equipment values holding up? Any big surprises out there that you're keeping an eye on? Yeah, that's a
0: that, that's a good question, Mike. So as we've evolved as a business, we've started to track what's going on in the machinery. Uh, you know, tracking auction results as well. And over the last year, we've started actually building software that uh, help banks and equipment dealers uh, figure out what more transparent real-time equipment prices are doing. You know, equipment prices can be almost as volatile as, as the, the commodity markets at times. Um, so we've been putting a lot of time and energy and research and uh, data visualization to really understand what's going on in the market from a, an equipment perspective. Uh, the coronavirus definitely threw a wrench in things. And it's been a very supply and demand driven market. Uh, You know what we're seeing from an equipment pricing standpoint, uh, and helping dealers and banks really understand is we're we're seeing the opportunity zones of where maybe a premium might be paid on those low hour late model equipment, Uh, and then when you know there's uh, there's there's combines or certain pieces of equipment. They're starting to turn in almost a dime a dozen because there's so much volume of that inventory. So for example, uh, Mike, what we're seeing is when the manufacturers spit out a ton of equipment between 2012 and 2014 during high commodity, you know, seven dollar corn era, that volume is now aged and coming to market. So there's a lot of different options to choose from, and a lot of those machines called tractors and combines have similar hours on them they They all have the same usage so you know the values are starting to drop off significantly uh you're starting to have more uh, operating costs and and machine repairs once those combines are getting over a thousand separator hours and so forth. so we're starting to see that market between a thousand and twelve hundred excuse me a thousand two thousand. Separator hour market being pretty uh, softer than it than it was maybe two years ago, and uh, from a, from a combine standpoint, we're starting to see a lot of dealers take some really low hour machines to market, and those are bringing really good money. Mike.
3: So Kyle, you have all this data about equipment. So what brands are included in? Iron comps, and so uh, how how inclusive is the program?
0: Yeah, that's that's a good question. So we're uh, we we we're tracking right around twenty thousand different make model combinations that are coming through uh, Tractor Zoom and over to our new product, which we we can talk about in a moment, which is Iron comps. You're alluding to, Mm -hmm. and so we like to say anything that's sold at a farm retirement or a farm consignment sale, anything from a Fifty dollar uh, moldboard, one bottom moldboard plow that's sixty years old, all the way up to a you know brand new John Deere RX tractor uh, sells at auction. We we track the whole gamut. If it's farm related, that's the type of information we're we're looking at. If it's advertised on Tractor Zoom, those are those are the that's the type of data that we're tracking over on Iron Comps as well.
1: So, who all can access iron comps, and who is really using it as a resource so far? yeah, so right now uh, we're specifically uh, selling uh,
0: iron comps to banks and dealers they're the ones finding the most value in it so you know any any anywhere anybody from a large you know farm credit association all the way down to a small community bank is who's using it right now, so we first unveiled iron comps to more of the professional market, banks and dealers. Um, And then dealers, maybe people are familiar with the likes of uh, Van Wall or 21st Century or Ziggler Cat would be some of the folks that are finding value in software today because they're able to really understand what's going on in the auction market yesterday. So they can make great business decisions today and and start to project what's going to happen in the future. Um, And and yeah, we're happy to, to announce that we just uh, got to market with Iron Comp's for the grower. So, Iron Comp's can gain access to what's going on in real time price transparency. What are machines selling for in the open market? And, and that really helps for a variety of reasons. Uh, you know, naturally, you can think of the first use cases of, okay, what should I be buying a machine for? What's the going rate right now? Uh, and, and more importantly, what should I sell it for? I don't want to leave money on the table, but I also don't want to sell it for too big of a steal. So really providing some market transparency to the grower so they, they can make some really good business decisions themselves. But the other opportunity that our software um, unveils for the grower is really helping them understand what their entire fleet is worth. So they can actually hold a list of their, their machines inside of our software to, that, that updates the values every time auctions are closing. So it's more, it's more real-time price transparency. And we're starting to see growers starting to use that for balance sheet purposes within their bank or helping them up, update their insurance premiums it's really taking their it's helping them save time when having to do those uh, those type of tasks uh, and then really just understanding market price transparency um, we, we've had we've had a couple of growers say you know I almost priced it too high probably would have sat on the market for three six months and then I would alert it Instead, taking it to market at more of a, a market-bearing price and moving that asset or moving
1: that machine in less than 30 days. Yeah, that would be phenomenally helpful because typically if folks are looking to move some piece of machinery, it's either because they're making a new investment in a different piece of equipment or it's crunch time and they need the capital. So the ability to uh, get it priced in a way that will get it moved, I can certainly see adding a lot of value to uh, growers around the country.
0: Yeah, yeah, that, that's definitely right. and. You know, again, going back to what commodities are doing is sometimes what happens to machine prices. So as markets are going up, markets are going down, or uh, buyers are becoming picky because of you know $3 corn, or as markets start to go up, really looking at the supply and demand at the market and, and what buyers' attitudes are doing really affects the price, uh, not to mention all the other... Uh, uh, you know, market-driven factors like the ethanol production of farmer sentiment and so forth that, that goes into a lot of that pricing decision.
1: Absolutely. Now, Kyle, you have been working with TractorZoom, as you mentioned, for a couple of years now. You're continuing to grow, find new directions. As you look out to the future, what else is on the horizon for TractorZoom?
0: Yeah, so one of the special things that's, that that's really uh, you know, kind of gets our team going is being able to listen to the customers that use our software, whether they're auction companies, uh, being able to advertise their sales all across the country, across the world really, using TractorZoom, all the way down to the banks who are saving a lot of time using our software or our dealers, um, being able to make good trade decisions. What we're really seeing, Mike, is being able to listen to the customers, the biggest thing that drives what direction our company goes to. So we're constantly uh, finding those opportunities So what I could tell you right now is, looking into the future, is we're really heads down in agriculture, but we start to see some other opportunity uh, for the same kind of model what we're doing in the construction and semi truck space. Uh, Because you know, we we always like to think that we're farmer first and and helping people support their business operations. Farmers don't just have tractors and combines; Uh, they have to haul grain with semi trucks and. Uh, many of them have uh, con- some construction equipment around doing terrace and tile work and so forth. So it's continuing to provide value for the customer and, and just keep listening. That's that's what we like to do. And that's what drives innovation at, at TractorZoom and Iron Comps.
3: Certainly does, Kyle. And if our listeners want to keep up with Tractor Zoom Iron Comps, and whatever you guys do in the future, where can they find you online? What's your website? And uh, do you have any social media that they can follow along?
0: Yeah. So if you're looking for equipment coming up for auction, go to tractorzoom.com or download our mobile apps. It'll allow you to browse all the auctions from 420 auction companies from across the United States. If you're looking at trying to put your finger on what the value of a machine is worth, go to ironcomps.com. And that'll give you free access, uh, seven-day free trial access into... Uh, machine values that are real-time price transparency what's going on in the market today um, and definitely go follow us on facebook twitter instagram linkedin uh, very social i i i think a lot of folks really like following us on on the social media pages because we like to have a little bit of fun
1: awesome kyle thanks so much for taking the time to chat with us today yeah thank you for having me on mike and ashton
3: Again, a big thank you to Kyle for coming on and talking to us about Tractor Zoom and all the new things that they are doing. It was really good to catch up. (laughs) Mm.
1: Yes, it certainly was. It's always good to check in with Kyle. Nice to see, and you know, young folks, younger than me anyway, getting out there really making some waves in the world of agriculture and ag tech. It's very cool, and we tell these stories every Tuesday on the Tech Tuesday segment of the show. If you want to catch up on past episodes, hit up our website, go to agnewsdaily.com. You can get connected with all of our past episodes, as well as get plugged in with some of the other podcasts on the Global Ag Network. With that, Ashton Carr, should we let the people go?
3: Let's let them go.